0: No, I was just going to say before we start back in again, how like nervous I still am talking about this because I'm still afraid that I'm making generalizations, you know?
1: No, your experiences are valid because they are your own and they're your lived in experiences. You cannot deny your own truth in your own life. So please do not, do not feel nervous. Do not, you know, carry any weight or uncertainty. That is your truth. And I think you should share that.
0: Mm. I love you so much. Okay, let's go. love you too. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Broken Art Podcast. My name is Adam, your co-host.
1: And my name is Callie Medley, your other co-host.
0: B.A. Pod is where we conduct research on topics that you want to know about, all in the realm of theater, music, the performing arts as a whole, and all through our amateur expertise.
1: Amateur expertise. It's yeah. real. its We should get a doctrine for it, really.
0: <laughs> How was your week, my friend? Good. Good. Good.
1: Um Needed. A lot of research and crying and <laughs> realization and change mm-hmm. and protests and everything
0: yeah it's been a transformative week for everybody it's been a transformative like two three weeks um even just uh to give people context um it's been about uh two three weeks uh since the murder of george floyd um happened so obviously the country is in a flurry of uh, peaceful protests um communications with politicians and trying to get some policy changes and stuff and so we're still in the throw of it so you went to a protest you said I did
1: I did um yeah unfortunately we just we didn't know it was really happening Mm -hmm. um we actually took our car and drove down because we wanted to see midtown and see Mm -hmm. how empty it was and sure enough we tried to go down a street and some people on bikes came by and they were like turn around you're, there's a protest coming like you're gonna get blocked and so we just were like all right we're gonna park and join this protest
0: unreal wow yeah. so
1: it was very serendipitous um that's awesome yeah and so the protest i believe had started at 116th and went mm-hmm. all the way down to uh 8th avenue and 42nd street
0: okay how far is that for people like me who don't live in new york
1: well, if you take 116th and then you go all the way down to 42nd, oh. <laughs> you know, it's a good. It's, <laughs> it's, a, a, it's a
0: counting.
1: <laughs> like, it's a good few hours. To oh, walk. wow. Well, maybe not a few hours, but maybe like hour, two hours. Um, sure. But, you know, and, and there was a lot of people in this protest. Like, gosh, at least two to 300.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. So. That's uh, crazy we were taken down to 42nd street and in between, it was like eighth Avenue to, uh, like seventh, uh, like, cause they basically barricaded Broadway, right. Mm. The whole way. So we were going down eighth Avenue and, uh, a bunch of police were lining the barricades and everything. And mm-hmm. on the corner of 42nd and eighth, the leader of the protest had us all Mm. kneel down i mean there was traffic just waiting we were there for probably like 30 to 45 minutes wow just kneeling and chanting and you know he was saying all of his things saying uh directing things to the police and and it Mm -hmm. was just it was so powerful and you know even though i only caught the last I don't know, maybe hour, not hour, I guess hour if you count the kneeling. Mm-hmm. But even though I caught just the last little bit of it, I mean, it was hard to yeah. to not just sob the whole time, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But it, it really was, I mean, all the signs to see all the different kinds of people coming together mm-hmm. and wanting real change. And yeah. It, it's so powerful and I think everyone needs to go and protest and stand yes. up for what you believe in and mm-hmm. you know it, it's a transformative thing for sure.
0: It it really is. Um, a few weeks ago when I participated um, in when it was my first protest that I went to and I just wow. remember the the weight of it all and um, almost a sense of there's a sense of vindication and, and pride of being there um, that this, that many people wanted so much structural change that this many people wanted to make a difference and want to uplift these voices who have been oppressed in this country for hundreds of years. Um, and tomorrow um, where I live, there was a historic lynching that happened a hundred years ago. Yeah. And stuff. So there's um, a lot of call to action there and a lot of um, community events happening around that and stuff. So, and Juneteenth is around the corner too, you know, so it's just, we're all, there's so much emotion right now. Mm -hmm. And there's so much um, justice that needs to be served. So I think it's really, mm, I think it's really great that so many people are shelling out and that a lot of people aren't treating this like a trend on Twitter. Uh, So in this episode, we want to talk about the experience of being Black in the performing arts. We'll be delving into our own experiences and looking at the experience of these performers in our worlds of theater, um, considerations when performing African-American music and choirs, and what do we do next? Also, we might be making large generalizations throughout this discussion. Um, As a black man myself, I do not take my personal experiences as the experience of other people who look like me. Um, We thrive in our diversity and we would love to hear from people in the black community with their own lives and lived in experiences. Does that sound good, Callie?
1: Yes, (laughs) let's go
0: i'm I'm so excited for this, so I want to first ask like, so what is like your understanding of being black in the performing arts?
1: I definitely knew that there was like discrimination and some microaggressions before I even knew what that word really was. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, as a white person, I have the privilege to not deal with it and mm-hmm. simply the fact of that that is my privilege right mm-hmm. the fact that I didn't have to live it I didn't have to listen to it um you know it, I I could see it but I didn't really register it mm-hmm. um and so this week it's really changed my perspective in that and it's made me realize You know, and and start to see a sliver of a fraction of a microsecond of what it means to be a a black person or a person of color Mm -hmm. in this industry. Um, And so I think through listening to a lot of stories and really listening, not just taking it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I think nobody has a choice anymore Mm. to ignore it. And to have the white experience, I think if we can if we need to move forward, which we do
0: mm-hmm.
1: we can no longer choose to ignore it right um and we need to tell these stories, and we need to give them a platform and give them a voice and let them be equal. I mean how hard especially for uh, a community that's so you know liberal arts very inclusive right yet we still have come to ignore
0: very on the surface yes v- very on the surface i was um as i was driving back here to record i was kind of i was kind of thinking about um how our community is far more accepting than other communities but still has a bunch of trouble uh, with including all of these diverse backgrounds, like um, so, uh, for for people who may not know, I mean, I've been doing shows and stuff since late middle school, early high school. Um, continue to do shows in college, um, and i I've been very fortunate enough to be amongst these people who have been very accepting and very like. It's, it's, you know, we don't see color sort of thing. We'll get into why that's sort of a problem. Where we grew up, we grew up in a very white community. Um, our home state is actually in the top 10 uh, whitest places in the United Yikes. States. Yikes. <laughs> so, but I also didn't grow up with uh, a bunch of racist people. So I kind of had this like identity crisis growing up where I didn't see a lot of people who looked like me in the performing arts. I I just didn't. There was a lot of people that I look up, looked up to a lot and that I um, adopted mannerisms and ideals from that thankfully were very progressive. But I always, you know, growing up I kind of felt like I had this outside experience on my own race, you know, that I was discovering things along the way. So with everything that's been happening and especially going to that pro protest, it's like, okay, I'm taking my color back. I'm taking my experience back and just kind of what, what does that mean? So like we're in shows or whatever, we've seen shows like where there should be a diverse cast. Um, but we don't see that the show calls for a certain blend of casting, but we don't see that at all. Or we go to choir concerts and we see a certain song on um, the program and it's performed in a certain way that it's obvious that amount of research and honor and respect hasn't gone into the tradition which i'll which I'll talk about that tradition later so it, I guess the goal of at least this episode for me is like, okay, how do not only you or the audience, but how do I myself kind of discover and be like, okay, this is actually what I lived through and I didn't realize it yet. Like looking back, like when I was living in those experiences, I was like, yeah, everything's normal. Everything's fine. You know, being in all these shows and on the, for everything. Um, but now I kind of look back as like, okay, it wasn't malicious intent, but that's, that's something that needs to change.
1: Right. Like uh, you mentioned that in your life, you didn't experience anyone that was overtly racist. And right. that is amazing.
0: I'm very, very lucky. Like, I've had some experiences outside of the performing arts, unfortunately, but no, I've been very fortunate with the people that I've worked with in um, shows that I was in that I've never experienced that.
1: Did you ever experience any sort of like microaggressions, even if it wasn't intentional or like anything like that, that just kind of made you go, what?
0: Yeah. Um, This was, oh gosh. I'm I'm trying to, there was this one experience. and I won't say that I was in the show or on on the directing team, but there was um, something that someone said to me about how I should act more of a certain way Mm. um more of a caricature sort of thing of what they think and what I personally also agree it's like oh this would be um something fun this would be a little funny thing or whatever but I didn't I didn't realize it Uh, we ended up not doing it but like a certain way that I was supposed to do something I was kind of like eh. Eh, eh, mm. you know um try try not to get uh t- too specific because i'm sure these people might be listening to the uh, the podcast and that it was a discussion that i had with them later on and we cleared the air as i grew up and started having confidence in um my race and stuff so yeah just oh, the wow. you know when they say you know you should act more black or you need to act more this or do you put the sassiness over can you put the sassiness down What does that even mean? What does that even mean? I was reading um, this great book called Race, Gender, and Class, and there was this amazing chapter about Black women in the workplace and in the workforce and all the things that they needed to compromise to get Mm. ahead, how they needed to compromise how they talked, how they dressed, their beliefs in order, maybe not even to get ahead, even to catch up to everyone else. Mm. You know, and just all the things that you have to compromise. Like, like myself, for instance, I had to compromise certain tastes or interests um, in order to fit into a mold of the community of people that I chose to spend my time with. Not because they were bad people and wanted to change me, but because that was the way that I felt that I could fit in to this community of people. You recently, um, we were supposed to record this on Tuesday, but you told me that you had um, something that you wanted to experience. So can you please talk about that experience that you had?
1: Yeah, uh, the Broadway Advocacy Coalition uh, set up a three-day event focusing on black lives matter the movement but how it specifically fits in the broadway community Mm -hmm. and so day one was on wednesday and that was reserved for the bipoc community to just be them and just Mm -hmm. come together and let it out and be together so thursday was the day of listening where we got to hear specific stories from these actors and these Oh, you could just tell that everyone was so nervous mm-hmm. because of the notion that these actors are putting their careers on the line-
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, if they start saying this, and none of them disclosed mm-hmm. anything specific, just the experience themselves
0: right, and that's kind of uh, just to be yeah. honest with you and everyone else, like that's kind of what i'm I'm feeling like I know that every person I worked with would not you know, I would not lose my job. But there's a fear of that, because there's such a stigma about talking about this and making people accountable. Mm -hmm. You know, but sorry for interrupting, please continue.
1: Yeah. um, But the thing is, with the Broadway community, things like that have happened before. Mm -hmm. Um, One actress was saying how, you know, she was making tea, and, and someone just like touched her hair and and was asking if she was going to do anything different with it like straighten it or whatever um and she don't get me
0: started on hair oh don't get me started on hair i'm happy i'm balding let me tell you okay sorry
1: but in the rehearsal room she was the only black woman Mm -hmm. um and there was i think only one other person of color who was uh a stage manager assistant stage manager or something like that Mm -hmm. and She, like, ran over to him and was like, am I overreacting or was this, like, really bad? And when she told him, his eyes just, like, lit up and was like, no, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, they didn't want to be silent about it. And they wanted to, like, speak up and defend themselves as they should. She ended up getting fired from that job. And she lost another job that she had Uh, lined up.
0: And people wonder why we are afraid of speaking up
1: right and so to hear these actors and actresses talk about their own experiences and to Mm -hmm. feel like the rage but also the nerves but also taking charge and standing up i mean it was incredible and then friday was day of accountability so how can we move forward Mm -hmm. um and so they brought on a lot of they brought on cynthia Revo, they brought on um Mm. just like all these huge names okay. and they talked about how we can move forward and what mm-hmm. what they want to see happen. Um, and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later, but mm-hmm. uh, there was a petition that people could sign and Anyone can sign it. I highly recommend that you go to it and sign it. Um, mm-hmm. Just go to Broadway Advocacy Coalition and there'll be a link for it. Um, but you can sign the petition of how to move forward and how to keep yourself accountable actively, Mm -hmm. you know, not just signing it and doing it. It's actually doing the research, seeing which companies, which theaters are giving money to white privilege, you know, brands and Mm -hmm. seeing what kind of producers and and where they have been investing in before. So it it was, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it was an incredible experience. Sure.
0: Yeah, I think what you were kind of mentioning before is that there's no more excuses for things. Yeah. And so, um, a thing that's obviously made me very happy is that a lot of people have been like posting on our social medias and stuff and building awareness, and people are looking at it. It's getting a lot of Mm FaceTime. That's only the first step. Mm -hmm. That's barely even the first step. Are you clicking? on these links are you supporting um these amazing beautiful black artists that are getting their stuff seen for like the first time on a national stage like it's not enough to see it folks also like retweet it post it on your stories and stuff follow that person donate to that person it's it's not enough just to look at it you know Mm -hmm. and then you need to follow the crumb trail as well you need to follow what is your platform what is your organization what's your history in this organization um, of supporting bipoc people yes right are they and this is something that like again this is me also thinking and discovering things about myself for the first time during this conversation Mm -hmm. like the organizations or productions or choirs i've worked with what is their track record of um, performing certain material or donations or producers and all of these things. Like it's so it's so much bigger than inside your home, but that's where it needs to start. And it definitely needs to get outside of your home.
1: Yeah, I also wanted to mention um, if you're interested and I, I, I highly, again, I highly recommend you should, in addition to the Broadway Advocacy Coalition's uh, petition um or not petition but you know to sign for accountability pledge Mm -hmm. um there is also there's also an actual petition um to see a change in the broadway community and it's been cycling through there have been a lot of large broadway artists that have posted it on their instagram stories but Mm -hmm. it's basically a proclamation titled dear white american theater Mm. and you know again i highly recommend you look that up Read it; it's amazing and very powerful. But then go ahead and sign it too. You know, uh-huh. it, it's just keeping yourself. It's the self. Um, it's the attachment when you actually go through and sign it. Yeah. You know, it's the it puts on an actual responsibility and it makes it yes. real. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's no longer just a share on Twitter or you know whatever.
0: Right, hundred percent. It, it's um, accountability. Mm -hmm. is huge. Um, Putting your name on something so it can be seen. Like, folks, I also want to say that it's also very brave of what people are doing. I also want to validate the work that people are doing. I want to validate the things that people are doing. And let's say um, you're immunocompromised and, you know, we have COVID-19 and you can't go protest because there's a possibility that your life could be at serious risk. You know, there are still other things you can do, just like Callie's been saying. Donating, um, signing your name to a petition and keeping yourself accountable. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, there's my cat sitting on the couch next to me, but there's different ways to skin a cat, you know, (laughs) there's so many different (laughs) ways. He he doesn't have any ears and stuff. Um, He has like little ear nubs and and one of them kind of twitched when I said that, so
1: Oh, that's so uh, cute. My
0: sweet little baby boy. Aww. My sweet little baby boy. It, when he If he wakes up, I'll bring him into um, the camera so our visual watchers um, can see him.
1: You can uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, oh. Broken Art Podcast.
0: Ooh.
1: As well as, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere that you can find podcasts. Ugh,
0: these are such good plugs. <sighs>
1: I have a lot of outlets.
0: <laughs> You're so cultured. I love it. Yikes. Um So um, kind of moving on to the next thing, right? Um, so we share the experience of being theatrical people. but We also share it in the experience of being choir people and choir mm-hmm. folks. And everyone loves a good spiritual, all right? And there are so many things that I've learned about um, even the past two years about the music of my ancestors that I didn't know. So like, Callie, like, what do you you think of spirituals? Like, do you love them? Do you hate them? What are some of your favorites? What are your, let's just hear it.
1: It's interesting. Um, Growing up, I never really thought about it mm-hmm. and and it just was so normalized and I I would go to you know otter choirs and choir camps and almost every single time there would be you know an Afro-Caribbean piece or or some sort of you know spiritual piece that and where, would, where would
0: they put that in the concert order where would they put that?
1: very last baby (laughs) the show closer
0: oh yeah okay keep going Um,
1: (laughs) but i never really thought about it um actually until you mentioned that you wanted to talk about it i was like Mm -hmm. wait a second oh my gosh why isn't this kind of like a big uh you know hot take debate sort of thing
0: right Mm -hmm. why
1: why has it become so normalized and why is it like hilariously okay in quotations for mm-hmm. a bunch of 14 year old white kids to be singing this like amazingly spiritual thing and like mm-hmm. it, it's it's not to put any sort of stereotype on how it should sound but I mean just even the culture like is that an offense to the culture is that culture appropriation at all
0: yes oh my gosh oh I'm so excited to talk about this this is also something that it's such a rich history. It's such a rich and beautiful history. Um, the famous, um, Czech composer, um, Dvořák said that the spiritual is America's music, right? This is original American, uh, music. And not just with uh negro spiritual but with all world music there is a tendency um in white america to program and it's like oh here's a fun little closer or oh this is a fun one to do choralography for you know so i'd just like to take just like a brief like couple minutes here to kind of educate people a very very slim way because this is also something that I was oblivious to up until about a year and a half two years ago
1: take the deep my, dive baby
0: I'm so excited gang I do not claim to know this knowledge by myself I have been helped extremely by this book way over in Beulah mm. by Dr. Andre Thomas um, who is just like America's foremost expert um, on the Negro spiritual, and so ninety-nine point three percent of all I'm about to say comes from um, this book. Um, so, kind of the background of the spiritual, right? So, the first um, Africans came to America um, in 1619 on a Dutch man of war, um, and they landed in modern-day Virginia. And this was something that happened for two hundred. Years, some of them for two hundred years, and in that time, probably about fifteen million um, African Americans came to America, Uh, or Africans came to America, and were turned into slaves. Um, Also, these slave ships, obviously in terrible, terrible condition, and many died en route, and well past capacity. They, it's just seeing some of these. hearing some of these descriptions of what people wrote about um, is just sort of heartbreaking. So I also wanna make a big point that everyone, including myself, had made this mistake. Spirituals are not the same as gospel music. Mm. Spirituals are not the same as gospel music. Gospel music is a 20th century art style, Um, though there are some influence There are a lot of influences from the Negro spiritual. It is definitely, gospel is it's different 20th century art form, okay? So kind of looking back at why music was so integral to um, these African American slaves, we have to look back at African culture. Music was very important in African tribes. Um, There was singing, dancing, it was functional music. Especially with drums and stuff, so you have all of these influences coming in, mixed with Western European um, musical traditions, and not only that, Christianity. Because we also have to realize that spirituals are uh, is sacred music. Spirituals are sacred tunes that are um, have Christianic themes with a blend of African music traditions and Western music traditions. Um, when you think of some of the functions for this, it was like well one of them was just like a- emotion, like you have all of these stories from the Old Testament, especially um with the experience of uh the Jewish people of oppression and slavery, and all of these things witnessed in the Bible and so a connection there um they were also used um when um, African, uh, when these African-American slaves were working. It could be used to keep time. Um, it could be used um, so the slave owners knew where their slaves were. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and different um, spirituals and songs um, would be used for different um, activities, um, whether they're working in the fields or doing an assortment of other different things. Um, but while these are also very, um, sacred pieces, they also had double meanings as well. So in these texts, there would be encoded secret messages. And my favorite one that Dr. Thomas goes in um to his book um was the song Keep Your Lamps Trimmed and Burning. You know, it's you know talking about the coming of Jesus and all these things and very hopeful thing. But it was also code um for um these slaves to watch the lamps and stuff and know when a certain event um, was coming uh, maybe to signal danger or maybe to signal an escape. And so all of these have such a rich tradition that people just don't talk about with their students or with their choir members. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that I have, that there's such a rich history and tradition, not just with uh, Negro spiritual, but with all world music. And I'm so thankful in the choral community that people are stepping up and talking about this. I went to this conference in Milwaukee um, a few months back and uh, there were so many interest sessions on how, avoid, how to avoid tokenism or considerations when you are programming music, um, not of the Western canon, right? Um, Let's see. Um, and just to clarify, there were other types of slave songs and stuff other than spirituals. But spirituals um, ended up becoming the most popular and had religious themes. That's the biggest um, dividing factor is that these were uh, had religious themes. So there's a collection made in 1867 of all of these Negro spirituals called "Slave Songs of the United States." Um, and they did it from. Um, communicating with slaves and freed slaves, um, and trying to put it into Western notation. Um, In this book, there are no harmonizations written in, um, there's no tempo markings, um, and it was also hard to notate certain vocal styles and techniques used. So like we still don't have a in, in this book, like an accurate representation, but there is still enough where it's like, okay, they didn't put in temple markings, and they didn't put in harmonization, so they tried to make it as pure as possible. Mm-hmm. So how these um, songs start to get more widespread was through this amazing, uh, very important historical group called the Fisk Jubilee Singers um, that was formed in Uh, 1878 Um, and J.B.T. Marsh uh, founded this group and they did a lot of domestic and foreign um, tours and so we have the first known instances of these songs being sung outside of plantations Um, and then it kind of turned into this art music thing because they created their own book and in this they added harmonies and stuff and that's kind of the development of the concert spiritual where we turn from um these songs that were sung by slaves into a mix of a more contemporary depending on what century you're in contemporary uh, musical canon of mm. western tradition um and then we have the first uh big really famous um uh, spiritual arranger um harry t burley um he was considered the earliest spiritual arranger, arranger um and he also I just want to point, point this out, because there's also a stigma around this, And too. Um, he also composed a bunch of other songs that weren't spirituals. I came around this great article that one of my professors shared, um, kind of with the assumption that if you're a Black composer, that you're going to compose spirituals hi wow <laughs> if that's, that's
1: not a huge microaggression that's like a regular aggression
0: <laughs> that's that and you know i've i've composed a lot of pieces in the past and i've never wrote the spiritual before so now the final thing i want to kind of get to is performance practicey stuff because this is something the full disclosure that i am still working to understand Mhm. Um, and stuff like we said, amateur expertise. I'm literally just reading the Bible of Negro spirituals and picking (laughs) out things that, hey, I wish I would have known this a couple years ago. All right? So programming a Negro spiritual, or in fact, any world music for that matter, uh, but I think especially in America, the Negro spiritual uh, arrangements, these concert arrangements, um, have conductors very, very nervous um they're very nervous because they don't want to mess it up and sometimes that makes them want to avoid programming the music right even if you are a white conductor and the majority of your choir is white and that just shouldn't be the case folks like look at me for example um i have a choir at my church that i conduct and i'm the only black person in that room i'm the only black person in that room but I still think it behooves every single person to sing that music. Mm. Because just because I am not a white German person doesn't mean that I shouldn't uh, program music um, by Bach or Mozart or Brahms, you know? We still do that, but the difference is we don't spend the amount of time and care talking about one genre versus another
1: genre
0: right because it's like okay so you can sit down with your choir and stuff and talk about the influence of these um old german white dudes from the 18th and 19th century right Mm -hmm. but we kind of just like oh here's this fun little spiritual throw it in you know yeah and like i only say that because it wasn't done so brashly But I didn't experience um, and really in depth conversation about these arrangements of Negro spirituals until I got to college. So, um, kind of me growing up and then singing this music, you know, there was a moment of feeling kind of disconnected almost, um, especially with the music of my ancestors. I remember this experience (laughs) when I was in grade school that just popped into my head. It was uh, MLK Day, or it was the day after MLK Day. And we were doing Free At Last, Free At Last, Great God Almighty, and Free At Last. And I remember, oh my gosh, (laughs) I think this person's retired now. Um, The teacher looked at me and was like, are we doing this song
1: right? Wait, how old are you?
0: I was in like third or fourth grade.
1: what
0: (laughs) yeah hand to god hand to god that is i remember that oh my gosh that's awful
1: what the heck
0: yes and it's like so then there's that assumption right that (laughs) um so that you know i and i I didn't know how to say anything so i think that's where that kind of started with that kind of like shelled, sheltered in me kind of maybe not kind of feeling embarrassed kind of when mm-hmm. i was in choirs um choirs yeah. there's my north dakota and that just came out a little <laughs> bit there choir uh, in choir you know singing the <laughs> spiritual you know team. okay here's like a like a brief little crash course that is so bare bones because this is such a beautiful big and, exp- and just so full of knowledge
1: and one thing that you guys can do um you know
0: is buy this book buy Sorry, it. buy this book
1: don't just listen to adam preach about it actually buy it and educate it educate yourself
0: mm-hmm. and there's so many other um books and sources that dr thomas references in this um that you should uh please check those out as well i've also um am planning on ordering um, another book. Um, That he references as well. Um, Yeah, we'll
1: uh, we'll have some links down below that you can check out. uh, Some sources for.
0: Yeah, that's right. We have a podcast. We can do that.
1: What crazy!
0: Um, So first, I want to talk about some interpretive things. Like I said, very bare bones. Right. So some people sometimes when they are looking at spirituals, they want to get the interpretation right, which everyone should try and get a correct interpretation Um, you can't have a perfect interpretation because that's just not possible Mm -hmm. it's it's just not possible but you know people tend sometimes add in like blues when they're teaching the piece like blues influences or gospel or jazz to create an authentic sound but my question is (laughs) and this this is great how are you supposed to make a spiritual sound with music that were influenced by spirituals
1: mm-hmm.
0: you, you know what came first the chicken or the egg in this case the egg came first yeah the egg came first in this situation y'all um mm,
1: so that's interesting
0: yeah kind of taking a step back from that because because that's also not to say that these um, modern composers or historical composers did not add in these influences that's not true at all like they, these influences were added in but you need to know the background of the composer or the tempo marking, markings or the performance notes <laughs> where it kind of outlines it out mm-hmm. um also do your research
1: yeah and it's uh, interesting too i saw one of the many things that have been circling the social media is uh you know tiles where you can swipe through and it says your favorite music was came from black people pop rock punk uh you know Mm -hmm. everything came from black people so like nothing nothing in this country is owned by white people nothing we were not we did not build this country
0: nothing at all
1: (laughs) nothing so you know it it just goes Mm. to show you know do your research and appreciate and do your research, folks. amplify, amplify, amplify,
0: mm-hmm. support. Um, so we also have to um, remember that we're not trying to make a caricature when we're, do, when we're interpreting this, right? Interpreting, interpreting, interpreting. That's what it is. We're not trying to make a caricature. So we also need to keep in mind that these arrangements also come from the Western tradition of music. So like you shouldn't disregard beautiful phrasing, you shouldn't disregard um, healthy tone and stuff. There's a specific tone that a lot of arrangers go for and historically, but you know, it's not spread out like this, give me crack corn and I don't care. No, and there's a lot to say about some of the songs that we teach to our elementary students in music that are extremely racist <laughs> extremely well, that's and, a whole oh my gosh that's and a, I, I wanted to put that in but i just couldn't i didn't have time i didn't yeah,
1: have. yeah i well and it's interesting because i remember in high school uh singing you know middle eastern pieces and mm-hmm. just like direction from from the choir director being like make it nasal you know i want that really pingy sound like i want you to to imitate that and so mm-hmm. i'm like is is that too far or is that
0: well i i think um i think in certain instances um like there is a certain tone that a lot of people go for in mm-hmm. like in the tradition of the negro spiritual and concert spirituals there's there's a lot of color and deeper sounds but that may not be what the arranger is going for. But it might be, it might be. So in kind of, in defense of that, and maybe listening to recordings, I also recommend listening to a bunch of recordings and see if you can find like the premiere of a piece or um, a, a choir that is from that ethnicity singing that piece or even the arranger conducting or at the concert of that piece. Yeah. So you can kind of say, oh, are they doing this pingy sound right there? or what what was the arranger's intent so like one of the considerations should be the th sound in the african language there were no there wasn't a th sound mm-hmm. so instead of a th sound it was a d or an unvoiced t. um with r's you wouldn't have r's on unaccented syllables so instead of Brother, it'd be brother. Hmm. Um, and then there's this thing called phonetic decay that happens. So, with like ing sounds, it would just be turned into like the time is drawing night, would be the time is drawn nigh. A lot of people fixate on it. Um, you know, seasoning should be used to elevate the food, not overshadow it entirely. A reason why I'm so Passionate about the subject right now is because I actually got to participate in a concert with Dr. Thomas in November.
1: Really? Oh my gosh.
0: He's my hero for one. Um, So that was just like crazy. um, That's amazing. But my um, college director, the amount of care and time and research that he did and that he talked with us about the music was so impactful it was so amazing and it was so impactful which the way he said the way he did it like there's only two black people in the choir I think of a choir of like 50 some so it's like I didn't feel embarrassed in that moment when we were doing these pieces I felt such a source of pride mm. and that's what having a conversation can do you know sometimes um maybe sometimes doing your research isn't enough like if you have Um, a person who specializes in performing this type of music Um, someone from this community um, who knows what they're talking about if you don't feel comfortable talking about it bring someone else in to talk about it
1: yeah no actually (laughs) I'm interested to hear what people think about this so if you are listening like please
0: yeah please yeah oh oh, I'm I'm not trying to dissuade you I'm not trying to dissuade you. Get in the comments. Get in the comments. Tell me what you really feel. No,
1: because not only is this a discussion for us, but it's a discussion for all of you who are listening. And Mm -hmm. we want this to be sort of, you know, not such a a barricaded experience. We want to open up the conversation and we want to give it that back and forth. So please tell us what you think about everything. I think uh, theater, like I said before, If you don't have the community for it, don't try to do it. I think, you know, there are certain shows that are meant to be told for that community and for their story, and we don't have anything to do with that. That being said, the majority of quote-unquote white musicals are not meant to tell a strictly white story, Um, and... This goes back to the whole idea of colorblind casting. Yeah. And I don't see color. First of all, please never say that again.
0: <laughs> never say that Anyone. again. Yeah. I, I'm,
1: I'm a victim of saying that because, you know, a few years ago, that's what, you know, progressives and liberals would like kind of just yeah. go to. Because it's, I don't know. So I just got used to saying uh, okay I don't see color I you know it's it's my friend in the brown sweater instead of saying my you know my black friend add oh
0: totally I mean like I was so when I was so disconnected um from my my color like colorblindness like oh hey that's really cool of you you don't see color yeah. I'm so glad that we all are in this gray world with gray colors and like a couple of year folks like you know, after the civil rights movement, still pe- people still use the word Negro just to talk to somebody, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, and there's the nomenclature. It's a case by case basis, but like, don't say colorblind anymore. Now we know better. We know better. We know That's better. completely ignoring someone's identity and their lived in experience. Right. It, you know, I remember, cause I've smartly, smartly, that's the word smartly. We're going to keep it a word. Um
1: like I said before we make words up on this podcast. That's what we do. That's
0: what fine. we do. Um um uh, favorite word of the day,
1: which means um, toilet bowl actually. <laughs> <stop it. laughs>
0: um but I've I was never in a show that was primarily that was historically black um cuz I grew up in the white Midwest. Um but I still participated in shows still um and i was very th- i was very thankful that you know i had some directors um who were like oh, we put we put you in there because you know i don't see color no 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 it, it's like and it's so co- i think it's so complicated i think it's so complicated um because some people when they're in the directing room they don't think about the color for for example like Otto Frank was not black. All right. That is a historical fact that Otto Frank was not black. Mm -hmm. Alexander Hamilton was not Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. Aaron Burr was not black. Mm -hmm. You know, it is the story that is being told. And how does that story connect with your life or how can you respect the life of this person that you're playing? It's when it's not historically, um, historical musical made for people of color, the goal should be how is this person, how is this person going to um, do justice to this part, regardless of the color of their skin, but also realizing that representation is a huge issue.
1: Yes. Um,
0: Representation's and, huge.
1: Yes, uh, and that's a, amazing that, you know, in your high school experience, it, it even though they use, kind of you know I don't see color which is Mm -hmm. whatever but it's still great that you you got to have those experiences where I feel like in a lot of professional theaters and Broadway it's still not that way but that's so important to see that representation of people of your community Mm -hmm. to see that I can do this too and mm-hmm. to have that, you know, um, I think practically uh, Broadway has kind of been in a rough spot mm-hmm. forever. ever. <laughs> 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 um, it's it's kind of uh, y- you start to notice all these different people, wonderful, amazingly well-rounded actor, singer, dancers, triple threat all the way. Um, but you look at the resume and it's the black show, the black show, the black show, like it's ain't too proud. It's Lion King. It's, you know, all these things that are specifically for that. And they aren't Mm -hmm. really let into the broader scope of things, you know, to be branded like that is so Mm -hmm. horrifying. Diversity does not mean equality and we need to stop putting a diversity card on things Mm -hmm. um to to uh go through auditions and hire a cast of 10 where nine of them are white and one person is of color you cannot say that you have a diverse cast no (laughs) what does that mean that that just you literally I, i i heard testimonials from these actors who had that exact same experience far more than not. Um, And they would come to a callback where the group in front of them were all white. They looked around at their group and it was a few people, one Asian, one African-American, one uh, Latino. And it's like, oh, I'm here for the diversity card, right? I'm, I'm, I'm here to be the cash cow. Who gets passion, to be you know? our
0: token color person for this show? Who who gets the privilege? Who gets right. the distinct honor of being the one person of color?
1: And not only that, but recognizing, so this is, is for the Broadway community and, and for the theatrical community,
0: mm-hmm.
1: is to look at the people who are in the room. When you see a, a stage musical like Tina, like mm-hmm. Ain't Too Proud, where everyone on stage is you know, colored and beautiful and there's this amazing variety of shapes mm-hmm. and sizes and colors. But every single person behind the stage who is producing it, who is stage managing it, who is uh, you know, doing lights, who is the director, are still white. Mm -hmm. are still majority white and that's Mm -hmm. that's you can't get away with just putting on the facade of Mm -hmm. oh we are equal and we are diverse and and whatever you can't Mm -hmm. do that when the people who are in charge of giving those people jobs Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: are in charge of putting the show together aren't also of that same variety
0: we need leaders we we there needs to be leaders who are also people of color like you need to, you know, there's so many conversations about, you know, bringing people to the table. It's like we don't need to bring people to the table. We need to get an entirely different table because this table's racist, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is an all-white table. This like, is a
0: racist table. Yeah. And I'm not about it. Um, so creating that, I'm like, look at your cat. Look at your directing team. Like, mm-hmm. if you're in a professional gig like how if you're going to do a diverse show if you are going to do a show that's primarily done by uh, people of color then maybe your director producer these people should also be people of color Mm -hmm. and that shouldn't be a commodity Mm -hmm. that shouldn't be oh wow we're being so progressive it's not being progressive it's doing the right thing you don't you don't get a stamp of i did my one Good white person thing today. Sorry, you don't. You're doing the right thing by uplifting these black artists to do their shows and to do it with their cast and have them at the helm of diversity. The job should not, you know, I'm not looking for white saviors. I'm looking for white activists. Okay?
1: So, again, to recap, what you can do. Individually is research, educate mm-hmm. yourself, have conversations with people in your family, people, you know, around you and be open. Don't argue. Just ask why. It, mm-hmm. that, that was a piece of advice um, that was given is when you're having these conversations with, with people who don't necessarily see the whole, you know, why racism is so, Deeply rooted in our country. Mm-hmm. Ask them why. If they if they have a defense for something, and if they're getting like on edge, go with it. But mm-hmm. okay, be like, okay, why do you feel that way? Well, because this, this, and this, and this. Okay, so why do you feel that way? Like, why mm-hmm. why do you think that? And you can literally pin it down until the only option is racism and racially biased thoughts and views and systemic and. Mm-hmm. So uh, please, please use that.
0: Yeah, if people are going at you, like Michelle Obama, just love that woman more than anything. When they go low, we go high. Yeah.
1: I'm,
0: I'm, mad, I'm mad as heck right now. There's so many people mad as heck. But for my white friends out there who want to have these conversations, you know, try, try to get that point across, but still follow exactly what Callie was saying, because you can pinpoint to that one thing and still have a productive, uncomfortable conversation.
1: Now is the time, as white people, to listen and actually listen. Um, now is the time to be gentle with yourself and to go, th- you know, go through that personal journey. Incorporate art, music, literature, uh, any sort, anything at all from the BIPOC community into your daily life.
0: Yes. Um, like like kind of what I was saying before is like a lot of directors, conductors are afraid of programming this music, but it's so important to program this. You're just going to need to do work. Like, don't be afraid of the work you have to get in. But if you're doing a concert or if you're doing a billing uh, for an entire show year and it's all white everything, you need to reflect because you're not properly representing your community or this nation.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, so we have our question now. Yay! And yet again, Adam has tried to trick me with putting an acronym in the Google Doc, and I just want to read it for you guys. Um, <laughs> okay, it's hide your S.DMM dmm. Um, Whoa, sick. So w- I. Whoa
0: is without. Do you want? Do you want to guess what the question I,
1: is? I do want to guess what it means. <laughs> Okay. Um hydrate
0: Oh gracious.
1: As daytime and midnight without there you go. screaming.
0: You got midnight right and you got midnight right, actually. Without you got without right and you got midnight right. I am lying Great. completely. I'm no! lying. Completely. <laughs> The question is, because um, we, we've both written songs in the past, I thought this would be really fun. The question was from our audience, um, how do you write anything deep or meaningful without it sounding cliche, or how do you make it accessible to all viewers and listeners? Hold on. Do you see kind of what I did? Stop. Stop.
1: Hold on. How does hide your SDNM without SC stop. Snapchat? It, <laughs> how does that translate? No,
0: okay, I took out some words. So how do you wait okay. did I put an
1: You put an, how an R, do you, R- write? you put an R for a W. How do you write Adam?
0: With R's apparently on the right. Um but answer the question, why don't you? I'm sweating.
1: Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> I was just so distracted. How,
0: how do you write with an R, anything <laughs> deep or meaningful without it sounding cliche?
1: Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, so for me, this is this is kind of a challenge. I, uh, uh-huh. Lyrics are a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, j- this is totally personal, but mm-hmm. I feel like the only time that corny lyrics are allowed is when it's just kind of like one of those funk tunes. Like, sure. Like, Wolfpack has a song about called Funky Duck, and it's just like, okay. Like, (laughs) or, uh, um, but anyway, so for me, lyrics are kind of the root of that. I spend a Mm -hmm. lot of time on lyrics. Um, I write poetry a lot. And with that, it's kind of an instinct. You know, you, you put the lyrics to, you start playing around with melodies and And for mm-hmm. me, it's kind of instinctual where a melody will just feel very cliche, very uh you know kitty I, I that's a weird yeah. way to put it, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think it's really just instinct and it's practice. um yeah. you're gonna write a million and one horrible songs before you you know get one that you like, so it, it's just mm-hmm. repetition, sometimes it's forced creativity, sometimes it comes to you um
0: mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just kind of following that, I think. Yeah. Um so gosh, I think I've only written like one like quote unquote pop song. Do you remember it at all? Do you remember no. it was a concert that we all we did remember for the summer program? We did this like school of rock thing. Yeah. Remember? And I performed I performed a song. Do you remember that at all? Can,
1: can we insert a clip of it?
0: No, we can't. <laughs> Everything of that is burned and deleted.
1: Oh, come on.
0: But that was, I remember specifically. Oh, wait, like,
1: that's the other thing. Never delete your songs. Never, okay. <laughs> never delete your poetry. Never delete Don't your like journals. Me. <laughs> just keep it. You never know. You might be able to reformat it. You might just look back on it and be like, LOL at that part of my life but keep it so shame yeah. on you
0: <laughs> well i think the thing with it that i've kind of let's kind of like a trend with like my my early writing and composing was that you know i tried to make everything have all these like double meanings and the poet and i remember the po- i'm thinking about it in my head right now and if we ever get a patreon <laughs> i will probably post the lyrics because it was so bad um but trying to make it so serious i think you know um some of the issues people have is like oh i need to I need to sound like uh this i want to go for this sort of thing. It's like good go for a vibe and stuff but don't force anything don't no. make your honestly don't make yourself smarter than you actually are that's that may sound like an insult but that's definitely something that i experienced i remember i was doing a project for this one um for this composition class uh this these composition lessons that i was taking You know, I was writing this piece that had all of these like uh, Baroque influences and was influenced off of this certain um, Bach passion, you know, and it was just garbage. It was just bad, you know, it was really, really bad. And so I remember sitting down and I was just kind of like, my brain hurts from being serious. I started playing something and then I was like, oh, this is funny. (laughs) And so like, I just started making something that was fun. Like, you should make music, you shouldn't force it, and it takes time, and you need to catch a rhythm with how to write, but, like, I ended up making this four-hand piano piece about a drunken cowboy that, like, I've performed a lot with, like, friends and stuff, and I'm, it's, like, it's a lot of fun. It's very personal. Like, I think writing is a very personal thing, Mm -hmm. Um, but you should be satisfied with it, you know? So that's how I keep it from sounding cheesy.
1: Yeah, and also I uh, like to say there. There's a lot of times where I get so wrapped up in it, and I get so like deep into the song, and I'm like, "Da da da da, this sounds amazing," <laughs> and then I'll like take a break, come back to it in, like a week, and be like, "This is horrible." What was I thinking?
0: (laughs) Who made this dumpster fire and why is my name on it?
1: (laughs) So it really feels like, you know, if you got something, go with it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you never know what's going to happen with it. So just be open to that. So you can follow us here on YouTube um, or if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere that you can find a podcast that I haven't thought about. so
0: excited that we can say that.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) um and you can follow our facebook page our instagram page our twitter page all at broken art podcast
0: you can also use Bapod, hashtag Bapod when you're doing our stuff so that's hashtag b a pod p o d um thank you everyone for listening as always take your heart make it into art
1: see you next week guys